Thank you, maybe see you this morning. And uh, wow, I was uh, thinking this morning, how many can, can struggle a little bit to think back to when you were graduating from high school? How many of you don't want to think about how long ago that was? In fact, this morning I was thinking, yeah, it's probably been at least 20 years or so. And uh, then I was like adding up. No, it's been like 27 years. And I got really depressed this morning. You guys feel that way when you start thinking about it? In fact, I, was, uh, I won't tell you which one, but I was talking to one of them before uh, out in the atrium. And, uh, and so I was telling them, yeah, when I graduated, and they said, well, man, how old are you, like 50? I, I almost punched them, but I didn't. Like, no, I'm only, I'm only 44, right? Can you think back to uh, when you did, I graduated high school in 1991. That's a long time ago, wasn't it? Especially for you guys. How many of you don't think that was a long time ago? All right, see? It's all perspective, right? It's all perspective. But uh, for them, it was like eternity ago. And I think about the choices that I have made over those last 27 years. And we come 27 years later to my graduation, and we pretty much are a sum of our choices, aren't we? We become what we choose. And so as I was thinking, we're in our series, Superheroes. And, and so a few months ago when we were talking about doing this series, I was thinking about what, what superheroes would be fitting for today as we, again, this morning I'm going to kind of address the graduates here and all of you guys can just listen in, okay? Uh, it's not, not, not to permission to fall asleep or not pay attention, but um, I think we can all get something from this, but it's kind of directed towards these, these students who are graduating. And so in your bulletin, get your bulletin out this morning. Uh, I, I got these few verses on your bulletin. I made sure that you, as you were sitting down there this morning, that you had a bulletin with you this morning. Um, and these are three verses that I think we want to kind of jump from to get to our text. So we're going to go to Daniel in a moment. But uh, this, th- these three verses here I think are very important verses for you to maybe in that brand new Bible that you just received to go highlight these verses and probably be a good idea to memorize these verses. They're very important. So Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 4 through 5 says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so God is speaking here to Jeremiah, and God has told Jeremiah that he has a purpose for him in his life. It's to be a prophet. Jeremiah doesn't agree with God, doesn't think he's qualified to do that. And so God says to Jeremiah, Before you were in your mother's womb, I had a plan and a purpose for you. And for you as graduates, for us that have graduated a few years ago, the same is true. Before you were born, before you were in your mother's womb, God knew he had a purpose and a plan for you. And for us as individuals, for you as graduates, you're never going to feel that sense of fulfillment and purpose in life until you pursue God and what his purpose in your life is for. Because God created you, and he created you for a purpose. The only one that can give you that purpose that will make you feel fulfilled is God, your creator. And he has a purpose and a plan for each and every single one of you. Joshua 1.9, next verse here. Have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. If you're, if you're there in your Bible, I would highlight that last three words. Wherever you go. Wherever 
you go. God is with you. Joshua was about to take over the leadership of the nation of Israel for Moses. And God reminds him, and Moses also reminded him, remember God said, I will be with you wherever you go. So as you take this next step, this next journey, wherever it is, whether it's into a career field, whether that's just more school. Uh, how many of you are going ready for more school? Okay, whether you're ready for it or not, how many of you are going for more school, all right? And, and wherever you go, God is with you. And, and as I have gotten older, there's times in my life when I look back on my life and I, I remember those times when I was discouraged or depressed or upset or angry and, and feel like, what, where is God? I don't see God. I don't understand God. And, and there's been those moments where I, just, where I had to just rest in Scripture to know God is with me wherever I go. The next one, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So we think about this. God has a purpose and a plan for us. Wherever we go, God is going to be with us, and God has a future and a hope for us. And what is true of us, what was true, he said, here in Jeremiah, is also true today for us. It's also true for these Hebrew boys that we're going to learn about that you've probably heard about in Sunday school. So turn to Daniel chapter 1. All right, so Daniel chapter 1, we're going to walk through a, a couple verses. And, and as we've, this is the fourth week in our series. I appreciate uh, Nathan preaching last week, did a great job. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go to the website and listen to uh, Nathan's message on Ehud. And so kind of this theme that has come out of this series is that God is not so much interested in your ability as much as he's interested in your availability. God wants you to be available for him to use because as we've just read, he has a purpose, he has a plan, and a future and a hope for you. So in Daniel chapter 1, this is uh, about 605 B.C., the Babylonians invaded the Jewish nation. And that's where we pick up verse 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Some of the articles of the house of God were carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and come and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, of whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And, and so there's a little more, um, I would say, involved in that verse than just teaching the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. What, that really would, what we would understand that to be is that they are going to try to get these Jewish Hebrew boys to conform to this new culture. And conforming to that new culture not only meant the literature and the language, but also their religion. And so let's keep going. We'll come back to that. But verse number 5, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, and the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them. So they're in, this, they're in college, right? There's a three-year program. Most colleges now are four-year programs that turn into five, but we'll, we'll just say three here. So that the end of the time, they might serve before the king. And so they've brought them in. They're going to train them. They're going to ingrain them into their culture, to their religion, to their way of thinking. Verse number seven. Let's, excuse me, verse number six. Now from among those, the son of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. 
But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So we, we get this statement that they're going to learn the literature and the language. It's way more in-depth than just those two things. They're trying to in- integrate them into their culture, into their way of thinking, Similar to the verse when, when Paul said in Romans chapter 2, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't, don't be conformed to the image of this world. And world there meaning this philosophy or system of beliefs. And so what's happening here is that very thing. They brought these Jewish Hebrew boys into their culture. They worshiped God. Now they're wanting them to worship the false gods of the Babylonians. And so in doing that, you see it even in the name. So let's, let's think of their name. So Daniel, what does Daniel mean? We just read that they changed the name Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. They changed his name to Belshazzar, which means Baal protects his life. So changing what his philosophy or what his thought was that God is judge to now Baal, their false god, will protect him. Hananiah, what does that mean? The Hebrew, name, the Hebrew word there, the Hebrew name means Lord, the Lord shows grace. So they changed his name from Hananiah, the Lord shows grace, to Shadrach, which means under the command of a coup. Again, one of their false gods. Mishael, they changed from who is like God, the Hebrew name, to Meshach, which means who is like a coup. So even in the change of their names, you see that they're trying to conform them to their culture, to their religion, to their system of beliefs. Azariah, the Lord helps, is the Hebrew word. The Lord helps, they change it to Abednego, to servant of Nebo. So even in the change of their names, it was purposeful, right? There is a reason for them to do it. They're trying to conform them. And so in verse number 8, which if you've grown up in church and you heard this story, is one of the verses everyone's going to camp out on. But Daniel did what? He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. So what takes place here in the next few verses of Daniel chapter 1 is, as we just read, they're on a three-year training program. They're supposed to eat of all the fine wine and meats of the king's table. Daniel doesn't want to defile himself because this meat has been offered to false idols. And so he's not want to partake of this meat because he was taught as a Jewish boy not to eat meat that was offered to false idols in worship. And so they devise a plan. These, Daniel and his, his three friends, are going on a new diet, okay? How many of you have been on a new diet already at least five times this year, okay? How many of you have one planned for Monday, right? It's always, we'll start Monday, okay? Anybody starting one Monday? Let's be real here. Yeah, you're not going to raise your hand, are you? And their meal plan for 10 days was that they were going to eat vegetables and water only. They were going to abstain from the king's meat. The king allowed them to have this 10-day basically trial period. And all the other men, all the other boys, all the other servants would be eating from the king's table. These boys, however, would eat only vegetables and water. I don't want to sign up for that diet. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, if I'm going to have to do a diet, I'd just soon do Atkins diet where I can eat all the meat I want. But that's not the point here. So after 10 days, what takes place? Who, who wins the challenge? Look at verse 19 of Daniel chapter 1. Daniel 19 verse 1, then the king interviewed them, and among them all, among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, 
Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. So this kind of point, sub-point under this is, it's not in your bulletin, this is extra. When you decide to live how God wants you to live, he's going to bless you. In this particular instance, he blessed them with wisdom and health. And sometimes when we decide to honor God in obedience, we don't even, and I'm just maybe confession for me today, sometimes I forget of all the blessings God has given me. Do you ever fall into that trap that you, you're thinking about the things you don't have, the things you want to have, the things you want to be different, and you just kind of forget of all the good things God has already blessed you with? Does anyone feel that, or is it just me, personal confession today? And so God blesses them. We won't take time to read uh, chapter 2, but in chapter 2, the king has a dream. Nobody can, he, he can't even remember his dream. How many of you, uh, when you dream, you remember every detail of your dream when you come out of it? Anybody like that? How many of you, like, it feels like you had ten dreams and you can't put them all together, okay? That's kind of the way, the way I am. And so this king doesn't remember his dream. He just wakes up really troubled by it. And so in all the people in the land, no one can tell him his dream. So all these people who are supposed to be able to tell him his dream, such as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they can't because they don't know the dream. So they're all going to be killed. Daniel says, hold on a second. My God can reveal the dream. And so God reveals not only the dream, but the explanation of the dream. And he tells the king what it is. Saves their lives, but also saves all the other people's lives. Look at the last two verses of chapter number 2 that summarize what I've just told you. Verse number 48 of Daniel chapter 2. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Verse 49. Also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. And so because of their faithfulness and because of their obedience, because of their willingness to do what God has asked them to do, to stand out in a new culture, to not conform to the culture that they have been brought into and are now slaves in, God has blessed them and they've gotten a place of position and blessing. But that's not the end of the story. Let's, let's start reading in Daniel chapter number 3, and, and for some of us this will be familiar, but Daniel chapter 3 verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. So most would say about 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. He said in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word together, uh, together, together the, sa- the satraps and administrators, the governors, the councils, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now we get to read all those words again. Verse number 3. So the satraps and administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That, there's a good lesson in that, students. If you've got a paper to write, just repeat yourself in a different way, apparently. So verse number 4. Then Harold cried aloud to you and commanded, O peoples, nations, and language, that the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
verse number six. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning furnace. So these three Jewish boys, Daniel's not really mentioned in this passage of Scripture. We just see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are faced with a decision to make. So there's this huge image that's been put up in front of everyone. When all the instruments play and the people gather, they're supposed to gather into the courtyard. They're supposed to worship and bow down to this image. And if they don't worship and bow down to the image, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. You have a choice to make. It reminds me in Joshua, Joshua 24, verse 15. You remember that, that verse when Joshua stood before the people and he said, As for you and your house, choose whom you'll serve. But as for me and my house, what's, what's, what's the decision Joshua said? We're going to serve the Lord. And so these boys are faced with a decision. Am I going to face what culture tells me to do? Am I going to obey the king? Because if I disobey the king, it means death. But in order to obey the king, then I'm going to have to disobey God. And he has a, they have a decision to make. You know that everybody in this room this morning has to make that same decision at some point in your life? So the rest of your life, you're going to have a lot of choices to make, and some are easy and some are hard. Some are important and some are not. And sometimes we spend a lot, way too much time on decisions that aren't really that important, don't we? But one of the greatest decisions, whether you're 18 or 19, whether you've been graduated from high school for, oh my gosh, 27 years or way a lot longer, at some point in your life you're going to happen to make a decision, who am I going to serve? Am I going to do what the culture tells me to do or I'm going to be obedient to what God wants me to do? Am I going to follow my path, my plan, my will for my life, or am I going to follow God's plan and God's path and God's will for my life? He clearly told us in Scripture that he has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of you, and it's your responsibility to figure that out. Pursue God. But in order to find the purpose and plan for God's, that God has for your life, the first thing you have to realize is that I'm very confident in this room this morning that, that I can tell you one thing that I know God wants you to do this morning. It's the decision that they are going to have to make. Am I going to obey God or do my own thing? Because the Bible is very clear. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then it goes on, Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. That means separation from God for eternity. The wages of my sin is death, and all have sinned, therefore I, I owe a debt. And if I don't let God pay my debt, because the rest of that verse says, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. Some of you have graduated, what, two or three days past your graduation? Some of you a little five, six, maybe two days, I don't know. Six days after I graduated from high school, similar to some of you, I grew up in church my whole life. Uh, a lot of times I wanted to go, and a lot of times I didn't want to go. But I was drugged to church. Anybody ever been drugged to church, right? And I found myself in Brownwood, Texas. I don't wish that on anybody, but Brownwood, Texas. 
and I was at youth camp. And I finally realized in, in, my, in my life that all the times that I had went to church, even when I wanted to, really wasn't me choosing God, just me choosing to go to church. So I had to make my own decision at the age of 17 to say, you know, my dad being a pastor is not going to get me to heaven. When I get to heaven and I, and I stand before God, he's not going to say, hey, was your dad a pastor? Yes. Was he a good one? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's not the questions he's going to ask. It's not going to matter. The question he's going to ask me is, did you choose God or did you try to make your own way? So at the age of 17, I was like, I, I'm going to choose God. And the Bible says, for by grace we are saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. It's nothing I can earn. It's a gift of God. Aren't you glad it's a gift of God? Because the truth is, there is no way that I could be good enough. And there's no way you could be good enough. I know you guys. You, you couldn't do it. But God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay your sin debt. So, so I would challenge you before we go on in this story this morning to really in your own life, in your own heart, and, and this is not just for the graduates, this is for everybody in the room this morning. If you've never made the decision to give your life to Jesus Christ, to place your faith in him for your salvation, to acknowledge that you can't be good enough, to acknowledge you can't, there, there's no way you could earn your salvation, but that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin debt, and that if you give your life to him and you submit your life to him and you surrender your life to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins, then God will be your Lord and your Savior. And all your sins will be forgiven. So whether you're just graduated, whether it's been 27 years from your graduation, 57 years from your graduation, have you chosen to give your life to Jesus. That's the most important choice you can make. It doesn't matter what age you are. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? And so they're faced with a decision. Do I obey the king and live? Or do I obey God and possibly die? What, 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 what are they going to decide to do? Let's look at verse number 7. So at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, see, they're going to repeat everything again. Somebody's got a word count going here. With all kinds of music and all the people, symphony with all kinds of music and all the people, nations and language fell down and worshiped the golden image which King Nezirah had set up. So all the people, all the, all the crowd, everyone's doing it. Therefore, verse 8, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 12. We get, we get the response. We get the reaction. What, are the, what do these Jewish boys do? There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due respect or due regard to you. 
They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave, and gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, lyre, the psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the fiery furnace. And he was, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So the time comes, they're supposed to bow. They don't bow. Somebody sells them out because they don't like these Jewish kids. And then the king brings them up and says, is it true? Is it true that you didn't bow? And, and, and yeah, it's, it's true. And, and so he gives them a second chance. He says, listen, I'm going to give you one more time and one more chance. And when you hear the sound of, of the instruments playing and you know it's time to bow, then I'm going to give you another chance. But if you don't bow this time, then I'm going to be forced to throw you in this fiery furnace. And I think because of their history and because of their faithfulness, because they were hard workers, it probably bought them this second chance. He didn't really want to throw them in the furnace. He wanted to give them a second chance. And so he gives them this second chance. And what a powerful statement he says. The verse 17. Or excuse me, let's look at verse, the end of verse 15. And he asked, Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? What a powerful statement he's making about their God. Because what he's saying is, Your God is not as big as me. Your God's not as big as, my, as the circumstances you're facing. Your, your God's not as big as the trouble you've gotten yourself in. And how are they going to answer? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, they're saying, we don't need a second chance. You can play the instruments right now. We already know what choice we're going to make. Let's, let's keep reading verse 17. If that is the case, our God whom we serve, he is able to deliver. Don't you love the, the, the confidence and the courage they have in who God is? I mean, think about these three young Jewish boys who've been ripped out of their home. They've been trying to be integrated into a new culture, a, a new way of thinking, a new philosophy, a new religion. And here they stand before the king and they boldly say, God, our God. You, you want to know who's big enough to deliver us from your hand? It's our God. Our God is able to deliver us. Aren't you thankful for their courage and their boldness? And don't you wish sometimes in your life you had that much courage and that much boldness? Because a lot of us, I know at least in my own life, a lot of us when problems hit and circumstances come, we, be, we tend to, to glance at God and glare at our circumstances when we should be glaring at God and glancing at our circumstances. And our circumstances seem so big, and yet we forget God is bigger than any problem we face. Is your God big enough to handle your problems? Is he big enough, really? But we don't live like that most of the time, do we? Our God is big enough. He would deliver us from your hand, O King. I love that boldness. What God's big enough? Our God. Let's keep reading verse number 18. 
And some, some would say this statement lends itself to doubt of what God is, if, if God can protect them or not. But they've boldly said twice in the previous verse, God is big enough to deliver us. Our God will deliver us from your hand. But then they said this statement, verse 18, But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we worship the golden image in which you have set up. I read this statement a few years ago in a commentary. It's written here in my Bible, and it says this. These three men were employed by Nebuchadnezzar, but they served the Lord God. Isn't that a powerful statement? So what is this, some would say, almost sounds a little bit like they're doubting. Like they said twice in verse number 17, God is able to deliver us. He will deliver us from your hand. But if not, and to understand what this statement is, is that they're not doubting that God can deliver them. They're, they just don't know if God will deliver them. In other words, we, we don't have to doubt the power of God just because we don't know the will of God. They don't know whether God's going to choose to save them or not. That's not the point. Their statement is, whether God chooses to save us or not, we're not, going to, we're not going to forsake him. We're not going to bow to you or to your image or to your gods because we worship one true God. What boldness by these young Hebrew boys. Verse number 19 the Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Verse number 20, and he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his, in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them in the burning, fiery furnace. I don't even think that was necessary. I don't think it was necessary for them to bind these three boys, do you? I think they were ready to walk in the furnace. I think they were ready to face either God in heaven or God in the furnace. Verse 21, then these men were bound in their, their coats, their trousers, I love that word, their turbans and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king commanded King's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you, can you just imagine that? These guys that throw them in the furnace die so hot. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. I love this statement in verse 24. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we cast three men into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire and not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You see, God didn't protect them from the furnace, but he protected them in the furnace. And sometimes God is not going to protect us from a storm, but he always promises to protect us in the storm. The story as he sent the disciples across into the storm. Jesus did. He knew the storm was coming. Sometimes God allows us to go through storms, but God always, what did he, what did he tell Joshua? Remember we read this in verse number one, chapter one, verse nine. I will be with you wherever you go. 
And I think this is a great reminder, not just for, uh, for these graduates here, but probably a great reminder for all of us in the room, isn't it? That our God is bigger than our circumstances, that God is bigger than our struggles, that God is bigger than our problems, and we serve a holy, righteous, all-powerful God. And we can trust him with our problems. We can trust him with our circumstances. We can trust him with any issue we may face. Just like these Jewish boys, they did not doubt the power of God. They just didn't know the will of God. Their faith was completely bold in the fact that if God chooses to save us, he will save us. And he saves them. Let's keep reading the story. Verse 26, And Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. What? Hadn't his attitude changed? Remember what he said earlier? What God is going to protect you from me? And he looks down in the furnace. I thought we cast three, and now there's four. And the king said, the, the, the fourth looks like the image of God. I don't know what that meant. But God revealed to him somehow that this was God himself. This was Jesus right there in the furnace with them. And he, and, and he changes his tone completely. Instead of what God can save you is, he calls these men and says, servants of the most high God. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps and administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men in whose bodies the fire had no power the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies, and they should not serve nor worship and God expect, except their own God. And remember what the decree had just made was? If you don't bow to the image, my image then you're going to die. And now when he experiences the power of God through the faith of these three boys, therefore, verse 29, I make a decree that my people, nation, excuse me, that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. The faith of these three Jewish boys changed the heart and the mind of this king. To think that these young students, 18, 19 years old, do you realize that your faith, the faith you choose to place in God, has an impact on those who are around you? So if you have your bulletin, which uh, all of you probably have that, and you're wondering, when are we ever going to get to this outline? We're going to get to it now, okay? Three lessons we can learn from these three. I called the Fantastic Four because Jesus showed up. Number one, do not compromise. Don't compromise. This is a lesson for an 18-year-old. This is a lesson for a 44-year-old who looks like he's 50, apparently. Don't compromise. These, these three boys were faced with the decision. Obey God or follow the crowd. 
obey God, disobey the king. And they knew what they had been taught. They knew what God wanted them to do. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. They knew that. And they chose not to compromise. Number two, they chose not to conform. Do not compromise. Do not conform. And just like these three boys, young men, if we choose to not compromise and not conform, the result is, is, is number three, God will be glorified. That people will look at your life, people will see your faith, they will see God protect and provide and use you, and God will get the glory. The reason God uses, as we've been looking through these superheroes, God's not so much interested in your ability as much as your availability. The reason God, people, God uses ordinary average people like me is so that he gets the glory. Because it's not about my ability, it's not about your ability, it's about, you know, Nathan ended the message last week talking about making yourself available to God. These three Jewish boys made themselves available to God. They chose not to compromise, not to conform, and God was glorified. Do you know everyone in the room this morning? If, if you, first of all, if you've made the choice that you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ, and I trust if you haven't done that before today, that you'll do that today. But next, this, this, this pattern that we see here, if we do the same thing in our lives, different circumstances, I understand, but if we choose not to conform and we choose not to compromise and we stand on the truth of the gospel and we stand on the convictions that God's word gives us, and if we do those two things, then, then God will be glorified. And your purpose in life is to glorify God. The mission of the church, we exist to glorify God. By making disciples who make disciples. But the ultimate mission is to glorify God. And so if we choose as individuals, if we choose as a church not to compromise, not to conform, it's not for our glory, it's for whose glory? God's glory. So you have a choice to make. Will you conform? Will you compromise? Or will you simply make yourself available to God? God, I want to be used... I want my life to bring you glory. Would you close your eyes for a moment this morning as we prepare for our time of invitation? And this morning, before you kind of check out mentally, I challenged you pretty hard earlier in the message this morning to, to decide, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? I told you that I did that when I was at the age 17, and I finally realized that it wasn't about church attendance. It was about me deciding I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. I'm seeking his forgiveness. I'm repenting of my sins, and I'm trusting Jesus. Would someone be bold enough this morning to say, you know, John, as you mentioned that, and as you have mentioned again, that I want to be completely honest with you this morning. I've never done that. 
I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. I don't exactly understand what you're saying even. Or maybe you know exactly what I'm saying and you would admit this morning, I have never done that before. If that's you in here this morning as your eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask you real quickly, if you would like me to pray for you, if you would like to acknowledge this morning that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand up for a moment. I'm not going to call you out, but just put your hand up right now, wherever you're at. Just put your hand up. I want to see who you are, and I just want to pray for you. This morning, just put your hand up. Keep it up for a moment as I look. Thank you. Thank you in the balcony. Anyone else? Just put your hand up this morning. John, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do this morning. If you're sitting there and you would admit that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, then, then why not do that right now, right where you're seated? I promise you will not regret it. Right now, right where you're at, you can ask Christ to be your Savior. You can repent of your sins. You can surrender control of your life and say, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer this morning. And if you want to give your life to Christ and surrender your life to Him, then I would encourage you right where you're at. Repeat these words to the Lord. Giving your life to Him. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I ask for forgiveness. I ask you to come into my life. I surrender control. I repent of my sins. Lord, I ask you today to save me. Again, as our eyes are closed, I would just ask real quickly this morning, would anyone say, John, I just prayed that prayer. I just, I just took the opportunity to give my life to Christ. Would you just put your hand up this morning? Just put it up. Go ahead and put it up right now. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. Anyone like that this morning? Thank you. Any, anyone else this morning? Just put your hand up. Leave it up for a moment as I look around. Sometimes it's kind of hard to see. Thank you. In the stadium seating, thank you. Anyone else, just put it up. Leave it up for a moment. If you want to look at me to make sure that I've made eye contact with you, that's fine. Anyone else this morning? I'm going to ask you in a moment. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of worship. There's going to be people standing out here. They're going to be facing you. If you would like to let someone know that you gave your life to Christ, then I would encourage you to walk down here this morning. Shake one of their hands and tell them you gave your life to Christ. This morning, if you just want to make yourself available to God, in a moment we're going to stand, the altar here is open. We'd love for you to come and to pray. If you'd like us to pray with you, we would love to do that. You can just come up to us, shake your hand, we'll pray with you. If you want to pray alone, we want to respect your privacy, you're welcome to come forward and pray. But if you want to make yourself available to God, I would encourage you to do that today. Would you stand with me as I pray? God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of these, these three boys, Lord, who all these years later, Lord, their, their story, their courage, their boldness still challenges us. Their, their stance and their courage to stand for you, Lord, still brings you glory and still points people to you. God, I pray this morning, if there's someone here that has 
that, that gave their life to you, that needs to give their life to you, would give them the courage and the boldness in the moment just to stand, to walk forward, to come, to let someone know. Lord, for the rest of us, may we just make ourselves available to you. We thank you for this day, Lord. Bless this time of worship as we point people to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.